Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Mike Fabares, talking about envy, a big problem you didn't know you had. Society has been fueled by envy that creates a lot of the rioting, a lot of the protests, a lot of the, you know, marches on Wall Street and all that. We just have to realize we would not have the problems that we have if envy, if Satan weren't there just cheering on the envy of, in people's hearts. Mike Fabares, next. Envy, it's insidious, pervasive, and corrosive. In an age of materialism and social media, it's difficult not to feel the creep of this increasing and ever-present temptation. In his new book, Envy, A Big Problem You Didn't Know You Had, California pastor Mike Fabares helps us understand the nature of this pervasive sin, and he offers biblical insights into overcoming it. Pastor Fabares, what made you want to write on this particular sin of envy? Yeah, well, it really was the dearth of not seeing anything on this topic in print, at least not of late. Uh, you know, if you look back in church history, this was a big topic. Uh, as a matter of fact, we've all heard of the seven deadly sins or the capital sins. Uh, that was always listed among them because they saw that there were certain sins that seemed to be the fountainhead of so many other sins. And uh, envy was always among that. And I just remember studying that in school and looking through all those lists in seminary and occasionally running into them in my study for preaching every week. But I, I, I didn't hear much about envy in the modern era. And there was just happened to be one week in my ministry where I'm meeting with leaders in ministry and counseling appointments and just seemed like every time I gave it some pondering thought, um, I thought, well, it sounds like this is the problem of envy. And I started thinking about, well, if I were to go to my shelf right now, I looked at my little card catalog for my library here, and I, I, I couldn't find a single book given to that topic. Uh, I, and then I thought, well, how often have I even preached on this? And uh, I looked through my very detailed catalog of my sermons, my database, and uh, I could only find two sermons that even listed it as one of the subjects. So mm. I thought, man, there's not much said on this anymore. And yet it was so important to so many generations of Christians. What are we missing here? And I, I just thought it's not a very, um, as I put in the book, it's not a very explosive sin. Like if someone comes in and, and confesses to adultery or, you know, stealing or, you know, whatever, beating his wife, it's like, wow. But if I've just never had anybody come into the office and say, hey, Pastor Mike, I'm struggling with uh, envy. I just, I need to confess this. You never hear it. And so I thought it's time for us to put the spotlight on this. And I didn't expect it to be a book. I actually just wrote it down on a little note saying, I got to give more attention to this. And I was at a conference, and a publisher that I knew, a guy in charge of, of, of you know acquiring new books, he says, "Hey, do you have anything on your heart?" He had published with them before, and he, I said, "No, nah, I just you know I'm just got my head down doing my work." And then I called him back over. I said, "You know, I have thought of a book idea." And um, I don't know, maybe you don't want to publish a book about a, a vice or a sin, but I was thinking envy probably needs a little attention. 
and and it was just great. He he lit up and and said that needs that needs to happen. So I, I made myself a lot of work that day just by telling him I thought it was a good topic, and off it went. And I I started just diving into researching this from a biblical perspective and started to see it everywhere. So that's the origins of of the project. But um, mm-hmm. I'm really glad we did it. It it is important, and I realize there hasn't been much said about it. Not because it's not a not still a problem. It is. It's just not getting airtime. Well, can you define it? for us describe it to us we all may feel like we know what it is to envy but maybe not yeah i think what we know that is related in the expression side is we know that we can be bitter and critical and we can gossip about people and we can not like people and sometimes we don't know the reasons mm-hmm. but the thing that lies underneath that is envy and the best way to define it i think is to distinguish it from some other sins that we're familiar with uh, the, the root of it that, that leads to this sin that is the fountainhead for so many others is, is the 10th commandment where the Bible says we're not supposed to covet. You don't covet your neighbor's wife, don't covet his stuff, don't covet his, 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 you know, his oxen. All of those concerns about my heart not getting carried away with thinking I really need that or I can't be happy. Uh, some people think that's what envy is. Like I really envy that guy's job or whatever. That's not envy. To, to really want something you don't have is coveting and it's sin and it's wrong. But it turns into envy when what they have that I really want becomes the reason I don't like them. I'm bitter. Mm -hmm. I'm critical. My heart begrudges them for having what I don't have. And so when that happens right now, it just coveting becomes dangerous. It's like coveting gets sharp barbs on it. And, uh, you know, Cain and Abel, right? That's an obvious one. Uh, the New Testament makes it very clear. The reason he did it, he was envious. He, he wanted the favor his brother had. And I love the way God there in, in Genesis 4 comes to, to Cain and says, listen, we can deal with this. Let's just, you and me, let's deal with this. You, you get this right, do what's right. You don't have to be like burning with this anger toward your brother, but sin is crouching at the door. It wants to dominate you, but you got to beat this thing. So it's great where I see even the beginning of the solution there with God saying, stop looking at the guy down the street that has what you want. Stop. You have to look at me because I try to identify in the book, there's all these vertical issues we've got to think about and deal with from a biblical perspective. And then all of a sudden it helps us with all of our our horizontal relationships. And and I I see it all the time. And and this is a topic which I think is so good because it's not like it just is a certain segment of the population that has this problem. Seminary professors, right? Pastors, missionaries, right? Bible translators. All of us are prone to look at someone doing something better than we do, having more of what we want. They have a better wife. They have a better job. They have a better paycheck. They have straighter teeth. You know, they have more hair on the top of their head, whatever it is. And 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 we all of a sudden now don't just pine away at night saying, oh, God, I just wish I was like them. It's I don't really like them for having it. And so that is what envy is. Envy is when we begrudge the other person. We, we're bitter. We're embittered in our heart. But what I try to identify in the book is it always really comes back to us begrudging God, because God is the one who's who's dishing out beauty and brains and brawn, and that's where we need to start saying we're really accosting God in our attitude toward our brother. Well, my guest, Pastor Mike Fabara, is a pastor of Compass Bible Church in California, talking about his new book, Envy, A Big Problem, which you didn't know you had. And, and Pastor uh, Fabara, early on in the book, you, you talk about it. 
as a sin which is uh, often camouflaged. I don't know that these are your words, but it tends to uh, fly under the radar, undetected. It's in the it's in the tall grass. C- can you talk about that and why it's uh, so um, hard to detect so often? Yeah, it is because it, it's the motivation for the things that that end up surfacing and percolating out of our life. If, if I said I'm really critical, I'm a critical person, right? That's kind of what we're going to focus on. And we try and stop saying bad things about the person. We stop trying to, you know, as, as I used to say, we 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 want to stop looking at the scratch on the bumper of a beautiful car. Well. You can't just solve the problem by looking at the symptom. You've got to get to the real heart of the problem. And that's where I think it's hidden because not only do people not even know how to define envy, they don't know its connection to sinful jealousy and sinful coveting. So we have to uh, we have to just start to find it under the surface of the things that I don't like. And, and in reality, right, it's, it's not the thing that we think think of as the thing that destroys our our internal life or our relationships, Um, but it is. And and it's hard to identify because it looks a little different under the surface in my heart than it does when it comes out of my mouth. Are there some instances in our lives where envy typically emerges? I mean, mean, it sounds like it's the kind of thing that can happen suddenly, and you may not even be aware that it's uh, taking over. Yeah, and I, I just want to let you know, it, it's the context for this is always going to be with probably the people that are close to you. You know, it's your brother-in-law. It's the guy in the small group that you're with. You know, it's it's uh, like my wife's uh, envious of, of some friend on, on social media. It's, it's not like I'm sitting around having envious thoughts that are destroying my relationship with Brad Pitt because he's got what I want, right? It's, it's, I don't have a relationship with Brad Pitt, right? So I'm, I may want his Ferraris, right? And his accolades, but I don't have a, it hasn't destroyed a relationship. So it's always the person nearby, right? It's always the person that I interact with. It's the guy in the office next door to me. You know, it's the pastor across the street that I see at a pastor's fellowship here. It, those are the guys that I start to uh, ruminate in my mind all the negatives about them. And and that is, you know, how this happens. It happens in the context of our relationships, and it begins to destroy the kinds of things that God is always trying to accomplish, which for us as Christians, I think about my example being a pastor. Like, if I'm if I'm frustrated and embittered toward that pastor down the street, then we're not pulling in the same direction. We're not, when someone goes to that church, they don't hear a good word from me about, hey, I'm glad you're there. That guy's a good guy. There's always this critical sense of competitiveness. Even that, there's a good example. I can say I'm a competitive spirit. Well, why? Right? Maybe it's not about you being competitive. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm all for you going playing ping pong and playing hard. But no, it's you're competitive in a business sense or in a social sense because you're envious of people. Which, as I get down to in the book, is about your view of God. When Jesus tells the parable, which is like the the quintessential text that should begin our our thinking about envy, he talks about those day laborers, and I go through it in the book. That they are getting paid. What is fair, at least the first guys who've worked all day, they get a denarius, which of course is the day's page in the it, the day's pay in the ancient world for a worker. But when he starts giving money at the same rate he's given the guys that got there early in the morning to the guys that are only there for two hours, of course, the guys that get paid the denarius for the full day, they're looking at those guys going, that's not fair. Matter of fact, the biblical Greek word there is they're they're eyeing them. They're eyeing them in a critical way. And 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 the master 
says, who's playing the role of God in this parable, right? Do you begrudge me for being generous with what is mine? Now, here's the thing. Our skill at talking into a microphone, which is what you and I do a lot of, right? It comes from God. There's a lot of people that couldn't do what we do. It comes from God. And there are a lot of people that do it a lot better than we do, right? And and there are a lot, they, they, they know, everyone knows their name in the Christian community. Yeah. And, and they don't know us, right? For the most part. Mm-hmm. So, we're, we're, we have to realize where does all that come from? And, and if somebody says, well, it comes from hard work. Well, of course, hard work is part of it. But even your ability to work hard, the Bible says, comes from him. In him, we live and move and have our being. Your brain cells not only wouldn't work, but you couldn't even power them to get through the day to read a book, to study, to to work on your voice or your inflections or, or be witty or insightful. You couldn't do any of that without God. So to the extent that we compare ourselves to like the, the best, most popular Christian broadcaster in the nation, or I compare myself to the guy who's sweeping the parking lot, right? It's like, we got to stop. God is the one who's giving all of those things. And, and as, as Paul said to the Corinthians, what do you have that you have not received? And if you've received it, why do you boast as though you hadn't? Why do you think it's inherent in you? And so we start by recognizing that God is the one who dishes out all the talent. He dishes out all the strength. He dishes out everything, including when we were born or where we're born, right? Acts 17, he, de- he decides all of that. And I've got to sit back and say, okay, this is really a problem I'm having with God. God is dishing all this out. And now I'm going to think, wow, once I shift this, well, I'm not just critical of the pastor down the street that's got a church that's better than mine. I'm critical at God for giving it to him. And I'm thinking that my mind is messed up. I'm trying to draw near to God and worship. And yet, as James says, I'm, I'm cursing that guy down the street who's a brother. This thing, these things ought not be. And, and they're not going to be for very long because as Christians, God is going to shut down right? He disciplines us for our good. And there are things happening in our lives, right? You could be, I think of Psalm 32, you could have God's heavy hand upon you, sapping your strength. You may hate going to work this week and you're trying to solve the problem. Why? It could be because you're an envious man and you're going to work out of envy. Ecclesiastes 4.4, it's a great line where Solomon says, if I looked under the sun, I saw everyone doing all this work, doing it out of envy. This is vanity, chasing after the wind. We shouldn't be going to work or doing what we're doing with an envious motivation. And so often we are. And by the way, we're talking all man examples here, and it's two guys talking about this. And I know we got a lot of guys and girls listening mm-hmm. to this, mm-hmm. ladies. But some people think, I heard a man once say, and I quote this in the book, I think. He said, well, I know envy is a girl's problem, a woman's problem. I thought, oh, man, you haven't read the Bible, right? <laughs> I mean, all the examples in the Bible of these men in high places. A pilot looks at the at the Pharisees who have in the Sanhedrin that had handed Jesus over to be crucified. And the Bible says he knew it was because of envy that they delivered him up. I mean, this is a man's issue and a woman's. It's not just the woman who goes, I don't know why her skin is clearer than mine or her hair is better or, you know, she's more beautiful than I am or she weighs less than I do. Yes, that's clearly can be envy when she despises the person. But we do it as men all the time. We may, I may even argue after studying it for so long that we do it more. But nevertheless, it's an equal opportunity destroyer of relationships, not just relationships, but the peace that's in our own hearts. It messes us up. And we've just got to identify it, sound the alarm, and start to work on it with God's grace to solve this problem. So it it does spring out of uh, comparison with other people and not only wanting what they have, but begrudging them what they have. But then ultimately it turns into unthankfulness 
toward God for what he's given us. We're sort of blinded to that. That's right. Not only are we blinded toward being grateful for what God's given us, but think about this wild thought. We're, we're not even tuned into being grateful for what God has given them. And, and, and Bill, I don't know if you're a, a dad. Are you a dad? Yes. Okay. I, I got kids. I got three kids, and they're grown now, right? Just mm-hmm. barely. I think that when they're in the twenties, but I got two boys and both my boys happen to be pastors, right? Mm. I didn't set that up or push them into it, but they're pastors. So mm. basically they're doing what I'm trying to do every week, right? They're shepherding people. They're caring for people. They're working hard to study and know the word and, 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 and preach sermons. And, you know, they're starting their projects to write stuff and help people through writing all of that. I think to myself, every time I see my, my sons do something that is effective and fruitful, guess what? I'm never tempted to be envious. They're doing the same work I'm doing. And I, I never go, oh, yeah, but, you know, he was kind of a bratty kid at 12. And, you know, you should have seen what a mess he was at 15. Mm-hmm. I would never say that to someone. But I would say that about the guy down the street who's pastoring a church and he's doing better than I am. And I'm tempted instantly by Satan to, to point out the bad stuff. Right? Why do I not do that with my kids? Well, Paul said it clearly in 1 Corinthians 13. It's the first thing on the prohibition list when he says love. Love does not envy. And I just think if we could just get that, the reason I can't rejoice and give thanks to God for the guy that I meet at a pastor's conference that's doing things so much better than I am, right, is because I don't love them. I don't have biblical love for them. And I just think it's easier for us to employ some biblical love toward our own flesh and blood. And we do that by God's grace in our families. But I'm saying, uh, and I know some weird dad that doesn't have the right view on anything may be envious of his sons, but, but most of us are not envious of our sons. We want them to do better than us. We genuinely want them to do. And when something happens, I mean, think about if, if your son gets a raise or your son has some opportunity and he does well, it's like we just, we so thank God for that. Like, thank you, God, for being so good to him. Now, if I just put any other person in that, right, could I do the same thing? I want to learn to love people like I love my own children. And that is, I think, a big challenge for us. And I think that would be a great, like, if a woman looks at another woman on social media or sees a gal on the patio, you know, of her church and says, man, that girl's way more beautiful than I am. And she's she's two years older than me. How does she do it? She wouldn't think that way if it was her daughter. Right? <laughs> I hope she would celebrate the fact that God has given her a beautiful disposition or a beautiful form or whatever. But but that's not how we work when we see that person as a competitor, as you put it, right? That competitive spirit. And 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 we just have to we have to just get we have to obliterate that with biblical love, which is a lot harder than you might think. Well, the book is Envy, a big problem you didn't know you had, and I do want to get back to that because love is one of the two counterattacks that you touch on in your book. Uh, the, the author is my guest, Pastor Mike Fabares, and uh, Pastor Fabares, you say that not only, and you've been describing it very well, that, that, that envy is an interpersonal sin, it's it's within us, it, it uh, poisons very much our attitudes toward other people, our relationship with the Lord, uh, but you say that it also has societal consequences or or outflows. Yeah, well, this may not be uh, universally applauded, but I'll tell you, when we have in our Western society a resurgence of this neo-Marxist thinking about people in classes within our society, um, you can't divorce, you cannot have this kind of class warfare, this anger at the 1%, you know, as they put it years back, you can't have that without uh, envy fueling it, 
right? If we just said this was all about greed, and I don't know if the quote made the, the last cut in the edits, but I had a quote in there at one point in the draft of this book. And matter of fact, that chapter on societal problems is much bigger, but we had to cut it down. There are so many things that we think are driven by greed, which is I want more. But if you really look at that, and one pastor does such a great thought experiment on this, he said, if you took the poor people in your community and you said, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to quadruple your income, I'm just going to instantly do that. Uh, but if I do that, you just need to know that the top 10% are going to get, they're going to get eight times more, right? Well, all of a sudden now, it's not like I can buy my, my the iPhone I want and I can go on the vacation I want. I can drive a better car. It's like, now, wait a minute. They can't do that much better. In other words, if the gap between the rich and the poor were to get bigger, even though the poor no longer have any financial struggles, you could say, well, if it really was about greed, everyone just wants more. It's not about greed. It's more, worse than that. It's about envy. I don't want those people right, to have way more than me. And all I'm saying is on money, it's easy to add it up. But what about talent? What about beauty? What about intellect? Like, what about personality? Mm -hmm. Right, Those are harder to quantify, but that it, there's never going to be equity. Yeah. Right? That's why when we had this new administration come in years back and then we moved instantly from equality to the verbiage of equity, really what we've done is we've tried to infuse really one of the cornerstones of Marxist thinking that what we're doing here is wanting everyone to have equal amounts. Some people think heaven is going to be Marxist. They do. They think there's going to be some celestial communism. And the only way I could be happy in heaven, so to speak, in the new Jerusalem, is if we all drove the same thing, we all had red Ferraris, if we all lived in a mansion with the same square footage, right? if we all had the same accolades from the Lord, but we know instantly, if you read the Bible with two eyes open, that's not the way it is, right? You're going to have the 12 apostles' names etched on the walls of the New Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Martin Luther could say, well, you know what? I, I think Peter was kind of a, you know, just a, a, a adult. You know, I, I don't know how his name is on there. Look what I did. You, you, no, it's not going to happen, right? We are going to really rejoice in the gracious accolades that God gives to the top tier. In, in, and, and then some are going to have 10 cities they're overseeing, and some are going to have five, and some are going to have one. And some are going to be the janitors for the one. And yet, how is it that all of that's going to be perfect? Well, because we're not going to have envy. We're not going to have this class warfare. We're going to be able to have the poorest in the kingdom, right, which will have all they need. They'll drink from, from the fountain without any cost. But the rich, and they're going to be rich in the kingdom, right, they're going to be celebrated. They're going to be able to rejoice with those who rejoice. I wrote in another book on the afterlife, I had a section in the book on, uh, on our best days at church, we start to get a little taste of this. Like, we'll have a good Sunday at our church, and, uh, you know, I'm in a fairly affluent place here in, in Orange County, California, but we have plenty of people that roll into the parking lot with a 14-year-old beater car that mm -hmm. barely runs. But it'll be parked next to, you know, a black Porsche 911 <laughs> right. or a BMW or something. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm thinking when we're in that church worshiping, when we're studying the word, when things are going, when we're enjoying a coffee together in, in, the, in the lobby of our church, we're not even thinking about those distinctions. And yet they're going to drive home in two different experiences. They're going to go to homes that are completely different. And yet even if I if they do what I ask them to do as a church, if they all just intersperse and are each other's homes and they eat together, 
in our best days, we get a little taste of the afterlife in that we're not jealous, we're not envious. It takes a minute to kind of get back into our fleshly way of thinking to say, I don't like it. How come your TVs are bigger than mine? How come your house is bigger than mine? How come your, your computer is faster than mine? And I just think that's where we have to recognize society has been fueled by envy that creates a lot of the rioting, a lot of the protests, a lot of the you know marches on Wall Street and all that. We just have to realize we would not have the problems that we have if envy, if Satan weren't there just cheering on the envy of, in people's hearts. Well, uh, Pastor Fabars, what are some keys? I, I think of uh, the scripture, I think it's in Proverbs chapter 4, to uh, watch over, it says to watch over your hearts, for from it flow the the issues of life. And, and envy is such an insidious, and I think you use the word camouflaged, a, a kind of sin. Well, what are keys to watching over or policing our hearts regarding uh, envy? That is in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, right? Here's the psalmist crying out something we should all be crying, all right? Search me, try me, know my heart, see if there's any wicked way in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. I have to start thinking more often introspectively. And in a world of Instagram and, you know, TVs and screens everywhere, mm -hmm. it's like we struggle with just being quiet and bowing our heads before God and saying, God, what are you seeing in me that's not right? That's why I, I just say to people, even if you don't think envy is your problem, and it might not be, it's not bad for you to introspectively say, God, is there any envy in my heart? And then maybe you should read a book on greed. Is there any greed in my heart? Then read one on lust. Is there any lust in my heart? Right? We should be saying, to, we should be inviting God to try our thoughts and know us, right? It's, well, of course he knows us. What's the point? You need to know yourself. God, with his help, right, can shine the light of his truth on our hearts to where we can start to see stuff we didn't even think were there. And the, the, initially, and I'm not bagging on Moody, but th they try to change the, the title and subtitle this book. Mm. And uh, I try not to argue with them, right? This is their, their, their work, they yeah. know what they're doing. But I said, you know what? No, I, I just, this title I know it sounds negative to you, but it, a big problem you didn't know you had, I just, we've got to stay with that because this is the problem. It, it's a problem. And I know we can, we could focus on the solution in the title, but I think we need to focus on the problem because I want to hold people's eyes on, on the diagnostic. So let's start asking God and giving him permission, quote unquote, as though he needed it, to look into our lives and help us see what he sees. And uh, I think if I said, have you spent five minutes doing that this week? You know, how about we spend five minutes a day? How about we spend five minutes in the morning and five minutes in the afternoon and five minutes in the evening doing that? I mean, I just think that would change everything. And I just, I think we start there. How do we start this? We start it by knowing there's a problem and asking God and maybe even reading some books about the problem or listening to some sermons about the problem and reading the Bible and saying, you know, David did this. Is this in my heart? Well, Pastor Fabars, you uh, and, and you talked about it a bit earlier, but you in your book toward the end, your book Envy, a big problem you didn't know you had, you give us two counterattacks. And of course, people are wondering, okay, how do we resist envy? What do we do once we detect it? in our hearts, and, and you say love, and then the other one is uh, God's command to rejoice with those who rejoice. I'm going to say the challenge is focusing on rejoicing with those who rejoice and saying, can I do that well? Focus more. Don't call yourself a good Christian just because you can weep with someone that's been diagnosed with cancer, right? I think you should say, can I rejoice with someone who has a, 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 a pregnancy, a, a baby shower, and you and your wife are infertile? Right? That's the harder one. And, and I want us to say, God, I want to work to do that. 
just like I would rejoice in my kids getting something I don't have and would want, but I'm going to rejoice with them because I want to love them the way God has taught me to love because he is the one who's loved me in such a magnificent way. So I think we have a long way to go in this, but I would say make it that focused, conscious discipline. Can I work harder to rejoice with those who rejoice? And the only way to do that is to love them more like Christ loves them. And the scripture, uh, is it in 1 Corinthians 13, love does not envy? Uh, yeah, First Corinthians thirteen. Love does not envy. You can't envy and say you love them. They just they can't coexist. They just can't. Not real biblical love. Last words of encouragement, Pastor uh, Fabares. Yeah, I, I just want to encourage you to keep fighting the good fight. We're never going to be completely gone with this until we reach the kingdom. But for now, I just want you to keep on seeing this as a battle that's worth fighting. Fight the good fight of faith, and part of that is is get, taking dead aim at the problem of envy. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Pastor Mike Fabares, pastor of Compass Bible Church in California and author of Envy, a big problem you didn't know you had. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Philip Ryken with a fascinating examination of beauty in the Christian life. Beauty is not merely subjective. It is not in the eye of the beholder with a small b, but I think it is in the eye of the beholder with a capital B because God says there is beauty. He himself is beautiful. He is our standard. That's tomorrow at the same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.